You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. Probably the easiest thing I've ever done. The medication comes in the mail and it's very easy to use. I've been able to live my normal lifestyle and I've lost 20 pounds already and I've never felt better. It changed my life. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. Welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast. Gravity Leadership is a community of people seeking to live our lives in the orienting center of God's love in the midst of our post-Christian world, learning to lead like Jesus, live on mission, and make disciples. In nature, gravity is the phenomenon that brings stuff together, objects as small as atoms and quarks and as large as stars and galaxies. We believe the gravity of the Christian life is the love of God revealed in Jesus Christ, The Gravity Leadership Podcast is curated conversations on what it looks like to practically orient our lives and our leadership in the love of Christ, the gravity that holds everything together. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast. My name is Ron McGowan. I am with uh, my co-host today, the (laughs) Reverend Dr. Emily H. McGowan. We're also joined today by um, the MDiv <laughs> and the Ben Sternke. Hey guys, hey. how's it going? Hey, hey Ron, thanks feel, for having us like on your podcast. I was the only one who didn't get a title. <laughs> Just my title is Ben, the Ben, ben. Sternke. No, That's all the, I got. the Ben. Yeah, the, the I guess Ben. You didn't give you. Okay, all right. The the definite article helps. Yeah, you. Uh, <laughs> I guess you didn't get a title either, Ron. So. Girl. Yeah, that's all right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I'm a little envious of Reverend Doctor, though. That is, that sounds super impressive. <laughs> it does feel a bit so pretentious, intimidating. Uh, uh, all right, Ron. Well, thanks for, uh, go thanks ahead. Thanks for go having ahead. us on the podcast just, just, today, Ron. Just keep going. Hey, so, Teddy, I, um, I see your, um, your master of divinity, and I raise you a doctor of philosophy. Oh. Mm, 
I do I do think that wins. Plus, the pretension <laughs> meter is now turned up to eleven on this podcast. It's, yeah. it's leveled up. It's it uh, it's leveled up. It's really leveled up. No, uh, I know that we kind of started off funny, but man, thanks for having us. We're glad to be here. Yes, yes. Uh, this is the Gravity Leadership Podcast, and we are uh, Matt and I uh, are joined today by uh, Ron and Emily McGowan, uh, as you just heard, and uh, we want to chat today um, about well, a lot of things. But, uh, church planting, church planting. They're 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 church planters, um, and went through a season that yeah. We wanna we wanna just chat about. We're gonna hear the story. Yeah, it's really good to have you guys. Excited Thanks, sir, for you to be here. Mm-hmm. Why don't we start out by just you guys giving us an introduction? We know we have a Reverend Doctor in our midst, mm-hmm. and we also know we have uh, just uh, a Ron in our midst. <laughs> so true story. <laughs> yep. So let's let's just hear a little bit about you guys are uh, cohabitating. Um, I trust that you're also you're also married, right? You share a last name. True. Tell us a little story about how you two met and uh, and came to be uh, partners in ministry together. So do I get to tell the story the way I remember it or the way that you remember it? I should definitely get to tell the story. All right. <laughs> Take it away. So we met when I was a freshman and he was a senior in our undergraduate days at Crystal College. And I disliked him pretty much right away. True story. That part is true. We both remember that accurately. Yeah. Um, Emily, but, can I can I jump in? What yeah. did you dislike the most about Ron? That he was loud and obnoxious. True story. Also, I remember that accurately. Okay. Um, my first, but but I was the only one willing to argue with her. So that's what eventually. Oh. So I really didn't like him. We had mutual friends, so we were in the same circles. Eventually, I realized that he was the only one who took me seriously enough to debate me, mm. to like push back. And so um, I was, you know, at the time the school was about ten percent female, so there were very few women oh around. Goodness. Yeah. And the men that I did talk to tended not to want to argue with me. They weren't looking for someone who was intelligent. And, they weren't looking for someone to, to dialogue and discuss. They wanted a ring by spring. They wanted right. to get married. And they were questioning you to see if you were fit to enhance their ministry and help them get to the next level. <laughs> Y'all, this this fascinates me. This wow. this Christian college culture stuff you're talking about fascinates me. Because if you're, if you're a woman who's not pretending to be stupid so that men feel secure about themselves and also not flirting with them so that they feel like th- that you're available. Uh, men want nothing to do with you. Right. Yeah. What He's a- just a sucker for punishment. He love just kept it. coming back for more. I just love it. Yeah. <laughs> so, Ron, so Ron, what was it about Emily? Like you obviously were a senior, uh, your complete failure, Christian college failure. You didn't have a wife yet. Right. Uh, you, <laughs> what was it about Emily that that drew you to her in a way that was different than other ladies there? You have to keep it G-rated. I will. Um, so we've already had a had a um, yes. I'm an, a priest in the Anglican Church under Bishop Todd Hunter, but <laughs> I I do. She said to me already. Listen, you you're going to need to turn it down, tone it down. Remember <laughs> that we're not just friends talking. This is going to go out to at least five people <laughs> to hear this podcast, uh-huh, uh-huh. and so. I will keep it uh, G-rated. I, I think the thing that I was attracted to the most wasn't just the fact that obviously I think she's beautiful, but that at the end of the day, um, I wanted some. I wanted someone to do ministry with. I just didn't want someone to help me look better. Mm. I'm amazing. <laughs> I'm yeah. 
But I wanted someone to like to do ministry with. I yeah. wanted to serve with someone. I, I, I didn't want just a, a a wife, and I didn't want someone to just well, to have kids. I mean, like someone passive, someone who just yeah was passively willing to let you do whatever you wanted to I, do. With. And and we and we say this like I really genuinely know at the end of the day that she makes me better. Hmm. She helps me follow Jesus better. She helps me love our kids better. She helps me um, stop and listen. And as Bishop Todd says, be a non-anxious spirit around people. Mm. Um, she helps me do that. Okay. Um, I know that it normally comes out on the podcast. So I'm a seven wing six. Mm-hmm. So I want to go and experience and feel, and I want to suppress my pain. Yeah. So she says, are you sure you really want to talk about closing the church? And I was like, that'll be fun. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> You know, and then yeah. she's like, really? Are you sure you want to? Oh, you know? yeah. um, and so really, that, that was it. Like, I wanted someone, because the, the, other, the other women that were at the school, a few of them that I took seriously, um, were really felt called to, to missions. That wasn't what I believe that God had called me to. Like mm. cross-cultural missions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like, man, I feel called to, to, to Kenya. I feel called to, to Korea. You know, one of those things. I was like, man, that's just not me. I yeah. really believe that God has called me. Since I was 16, I had a really dramatic call to serve the church. I really felt invited by Jesus mm-hmm. to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so with that, that was kind of my underlying, like, hey, Emily, I feel called to serve the church. What do you feel? Like, is this something that we can do and should do together as opposed to apart? That mm. was the thing that drew me together, mm. uh, that, that drew me to her. And then just the, the fact that, that I really felt that she made me better. She made me think better. Um, she made me slow down and, and consider the the things that were going on. So it wasn't just a, oh, you're the best, you know? It was, mm. yeah, hands down, hands down. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Yeah, that's good. That's good. And you mentioned uh, talking about closing the church, which um, which uh, that that's the that's the topic for today. And I just yeah. wanted to introduce that a little bit. Um, sure. uh, Ron and Emily planted a church in Arvada, Colorado, which is a suburb of uh, Denver. Um, and we wanted to chat with them. I mean, the, the, you know, the, the end point of that institution was that you decided to close it. And um, the reason I thought it would be fascinating and interesting to talk to you guys today, um, and I really appreciate you doing so because like you intimated, uh, this isn't necessarily uh, like a super fun conversation probably uh, to recount. So I, mm-hmm. I appreciate you guys being willing to talk with us about this. Um, but you know, when, when times get tough in church planting, um, there is a lot of advice and uh, um, equipping and empowering uh, stuff out there for like how to persevere or how to turn a corner. And a lot of the success quote unquote, stories that we hear are people who did persevere and then, okay, things turned a corner and things got better and things were easier and it was, you know, that kind of thing. But um, as I look at mission in the New Testament and just, you know, just in daily life, like, it seems to me that that's not always the trajectory of faithfulness. Faithfulness doesn't necessarily always indicate that we ought to just push into things. Like, sometimes there's a discernment where, okay, God's God's not doing what he once did, or God's doing something else, and we need to pay attention to that, and we need to, you know what I mean? Like, and so there's a, there's a you know, you could call it shaking the dust off your feet, or, or whatever, even though that, <laughs> there's a little pejorative uh, overtone to that, um, that I don't necessarily is this, think is important, but yeah. Is this how you tell me you're leaving uh, the table? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> is this what we're doing this here? Is, yeah, this is the... Uh, this is the coming out of uh, of what of what I really want to say about the table. 
<laughs> no, it's not. So, um, so anyway, so I would love for you guys to just chat a little bit about um, that journey for you. Like, what did the what did discernment look like? Um, what was happening? Yeah, well, tell us about the church. How tell, you planted yeah, it? And, tell us about the church, yeah. and then uh, I just wanted to, yeah, just open up that story a little bit. So the the way that um, for Emily and I, uh, the way that we work is. I kind of throw stuff on the wall and then she interprets what I'm saying. So what I'll do is I'll just say some things and she'll say what he means is yeah. that's how our conversations go. Yeah. It's happened um, several times already on the podcast. She mediates, exactly. she mediates Ron's presence to the world. She does. She's sort of the handler <laughs> of the McGowan. The that's not yeah. problematic at all. Not at all. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds pretty healthy. You guys want to come back and do a marriage podcast? <laughs> yeah, for sure. All right. So, um, kind of, I'll give. Let me just give you the brief story of how we got to, to Denver. So, we of course went to school um, in Dallas, served um, a local church just south of Dallas, and in the we both grew up Baptist. And so, in the Baptist world, um, the way that we understood it is you climb the ladder. Yeah. So you're at a church at 300, and then you get promoted to a 500, and then a thousand, and then all that. Yeah. So I was doing that. That's kind of the track that I was on. We went to a really large church outside of Cincinnati. Um, and it and I kind of imploded. The stress was so bad. I got TMJ and I can actually tell um, when my stress level increased, I can feel my jaw already begin that process of, of mm. kind of cramping again. Wow. So with that, I left that church and left church period. And said, you know what? I can love Jesus and teach third grade math, you know, and I'm, I'm just done. Mm. In the process of that, um, the spirit just wouldn't leave that alone in me because of the call. I think the calling that I have to serve the local church. I don't know how I got it, but Bishop Todd's book, Giving Church Another Chance, came across my path. And I read it and I was like, wow, this is something that I needed. I needed to hear um what he had to say hmm. and still have the, that particular copy here on the, the shelf that I look at on a regular basis to remind me of that time. So Emily and I sat down with a yellow pad because um, she was in the PhD program at the time and just said, what do we believe and what, what tradition is that? Like, who are we? Now? <laughs> so we went through that identity crisis uh, and, and found out that, that we really thought that, um, there was something happening at the Holy table. There was something happening in the water at baptism. And that in, in general, like the sacramental life was, was something that we were kind of living into and just didn't have words for it. Sure. Mm. So luckily she was taking a, um, you know, a doctoral class on, on the sacraments and said, Hey, what you're talking about is this. And I'm like, what? No way. Like I can't be Catholic. That's not happening. You know, <laughs> And so then, of course, she helps me process that. But we realized in that, in, in that, that we said, well, okay, well, let's, let's try. So I served at a Methodist church for two years. Because at the end of the day, I need a job. Yeah. Um, and then from there, we kind of, I was doing some work and realized I was preparing for their catechism class or for their um, confirmation class. And I came across a little phrase in a book that I haven't been able to find since. But it just struck me that this, this person said, even though John Wesley died an Anglican, He's blah, 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 blah. And I was like, what? <laughs> what? Like John Wesley died in eight. Like what? Again, my mind just blown. And so we said, okay, well, I've got I've to figure this stuff out. So then I came back to Bishop Todd's book, 
began to email him, said, man, this is what I think God is doing. Um, I ended up serving at an Episcopal church for um, a couple of years to kind of learn the ropes. We knew that we wanted to plant everywhere I had been was the, uh, the idea was, Hey, you come on and do be an associate here. And then when we're ready to plant in a couple of years, we want to plant, we'll plant you out. Okay. And then every year there or whenever that time came, it was never quote the right time, not enough money. We don't want you to leave. Uh, we can't, you know, all of those things. Or the pastor who had brought you on to have that vision had left, and now the church wasn't interested. In yeah, right. So it okay. just never happened. Yeah. So, so, so church planning had been like part of our regular conversation for ten years, and we thought that's what we were going to do. Mm. So this kind of seed was taking plant and taking root, and now all of a sudden, I'm part of a I'm part of a group, a diocese that says. We take mission, we take discipleship, we take formation, we take church planning seriously. Like I just, it, it, it kind of all clicked together. And I was like, this is what God's doing. Yeah. There, mm. How could this not be what God is doing? Right. Yeah. So just to recap so, real quick, real, recap real quick. Uh, climbing the church ladder almost ruined your life. It ruined your jaw and almost ruined your faith. Right. Uh, and, then, and then sort of like this uh, quitting, like, Basically, reckoning with the reality of this is unhealthy to my my body, my spirit. I need to stop, and then having that yeah. reckoning of am I still a Christian? Mm. How do I like if this isn't it? You're on this like rocket ride to the you know to the top of the pinnacle of Christianity, and it's ruining you. And then right. you have this come to Emily moment <laughs> with a yellow pad, right? right? Where you have to get yes. everything. Who are we, and how do we worship? Like. You guys, Emily, Ron, like that story, so many people yeah. are listening who need permission to quit their job because it's killing them. Right. So many people have done the quitting the job and have walked away and have felt like there's no place for me, there's no space for me, there's no tradition for me. And some people are listening to this, hoping, I'm oh, sorry, hoping, hoping, uh, <laughs> that's a new word. Uh, people are listening to this, hoping that like this podcast will help them with their rocket ride to the top. Like they're right. on, they're on the you know the two thousand three Ron McGowan uh, you know escalator up the uh, church ladder, right? So I just want to I just want to pause and just say like your story is ubiquitous. It's 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 I think it's the story of we find over and over again in mm-hmm. American Christianity, and I'm hoping that as people listen to this <laughs> that they'll get a lot out of that. So I just want to like, thank hashtag you. MDiv. Hashtag, hashtag MDiv. It's <laughs> hope. Hoping is kind of hope, but it's it's a little bit. Even more than hope. Yeah. Hoping. Yeah. Hoping. I like it. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, I, I don't know, Emily, would you, uh, you're, I want to pause right there because we're almost to the time when you guys planted this church. How was this, how was this deconstruction TMJ yellow pad thing for you, Emily? Yeah. So, so part of my story is that um, I had felt called to pastoral ministry as a teenager and was dissuaded from pursuing that route because I was a woman. Hmm. Uh, Never heard of that. I, That's weird. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I was instructed when I headed to Bible college that I could marry a pastor, but I couldn't be a pastor. But also too, right? It's acceptable. It sounds like in your college, it was acceptable for you to be a missionary. Yes. You could yes. go somewhere else and pastor people. You just can't, you just can't pastor white people. Is that what they were saying? <laughs> That's basically what they were saying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um, can we just talk? Can we just pause? I, I want we want to have you back on to talk about like like working alongside each other in ministry and how you kind of navigate marriage and gender differences and all that. But yes. that is just psychotic. 
Like yeah. you can't pastor. There's so, there's so much wrong with it. Let's just name what it is. You yeah. can't pastor white people, but you can pastor brown people. Yeah. Right. Right. Because it presumes that white people are fully human and brown people aren't. Come on. Right. And and it presumes a hierarchy of uh, men and women as well as to who's yes. qualified to teach those uh, various right. various people who are human or not. All right. So you were told, you were told, you can marry a pastor, can't be a pastor. Okay. Right. So I um, I went ahead. I was you know I was sold. I was all in. I didn't think there was. I didn't know there was any other kind of way to be Christian. So I wow. accepted that and went the academic route. I was, I was excelling in academic work, and so I just went that route. So when we were you know, serving these churches, even though I was certainly helping, I was teaching on a regular basis, and we were making a lot of decisions together, he was the man, and I was you know, in a supportive role. So when we were in Dayton and he was going through this process, I was certainly undergoing changes theologically, but it was not the same like existential sort of crisis as it was for him um, because I wasn't in the place where I could imagine myself being a pastor anyway. So whether we served the church or not was just not a big deal because I had an academic trajectory that I was on. Um, I was going to support him, whatever he wanted to do, but that, that crisis was not as intense for me. Um, And I realized that we were sacramental. We were going to have to head into a sacramental tradition long before he did. I think. How did you Um, have that realization? What, what what was it about that that drew you? Well, I mean, I think what he said is true. I eventually came to the conclusion that something was happening in baptism, in the Eucharist, um, and, that, and that there was something missing within the evangelical free churches that we've been a part of. And what I mean by that is we had been taught salvation by grace through faith, but our worship experience, our life lived within the church did not manifest that reality. Whereas when we visited sacramental traditions and I participated in that kind of worship, I was receiving, I was receiving the truth of salvation in a way that was not dependent upon my emotions, not dependent upon my rationality, um, rationality, like nothing. It was truly a gift. I was handed the bread and the wine, you know, the body of Christ, the blood of Christ. And I simply received it freely. It was, it was salvation in real, like, for real salvation by grace through faith, like in a tangible way, not yeah. just a theoretical, a theoretical way. So I knew we were pushing that direction. So would you? So I've I've heard it said like this: like what what the the worst of sort of the free tradition can become is that I'm saved by grace through faith in my faith of salvation by grace through faith. Yes. <laughs> right. Rather yeah. than by Jesus. So right. like I'm saved by faith by my faith. And what you right. found in the sacramental tradition is no, there's there's actually nothing. There's no discursive. There's no emotive mountaintop here. There's just a reception and a submission and a and a sort of a consenting to right this. Yes, and that it was not what I had been taught. We had been taught a lot of really bad things about sacramental traditions, Ooh. and I recognized once I was moving into and reading, right? Reading like people who actually believed and practiced this way, that it really was about Christ. Like we, I had been taught it was magic. It was abracadabra, hocus pocus, you know, but when you push down into the tradition and go, you know, way back, I mean, it's way back in the early church fathers, um, that, that Christ himself was feeding them through his body and blood at the, at the table. And suddenly I realized like, you're right. I'm not, I don't need a relationship with this idea of salvation. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. 
I need Jesus. Yes. And, and that's what, that's what that gave me. That's not to say that you can't experience that in other traditions. I'm not saying that at all, but it was for us. That's what we needed. Classes in session kids. Yes. This is really the Reverend, good. the Reverend doctor. Uh, Ron, you get this every day. This is great. Every day. This yeah. is, every day. You At take, breakfast. You take notes? Yep. Yep. Good. Yep. On a regular basis. <laughs> so I, I walk around with my, uh, my phone on record. That's true. <laughs> and then she just says stuff. And I'm like, yep, I'm going to use that later on. Yeah. Boom. Yeah. Boom. How do you do yeah. sermon prep? I'm married. <laughs> uh, to a reverend doctor. So this is, this is great. So you, you read Todd. Uh, so uh, the McGowan's and Tebby's team, Tebby Sternke, uh, Ben is my ministry spouse. We have the same bishop, Bishop Todd Hunter, in Churches for the Sake of Others, which is a diocese in the uh, interesting and complicated Anglican relationship worldwide. And so, um, Ron, you read this book. Todd's Todd has a journey from kind of a free churchy into a more sacramental. You begin corresponding with him, and now you're discerning what do we do with this. So, so I did I did kind of pause this there for 13 minutes or so. But can we hear more of how you guys found yourself to? Move to Colorado and plant an Anglican church. Yeah, so um, we were, even though I had been doing ministry for a long time, obviously I had a little leveling, leveling to kind of live into this sacramental world, like what that meant and what it looked like to be a, a deacon and a priest and what, what kind of how that functioned. And so in that process, whenever um, Emily received a dissertation fellowship, which meant that we could go wherever we wanted to. And she was going to finish writing her dissertation. They were going to pay her to do it. And so we kind of were throwing stuff on the wall and said, well, now's the time. Bishop Todd is wanting us to plant or giving us the permission and, and kind of commissioning us to plant something. Where do we want to go? What do we want to do? And how do we want, what do we want it to look like? So we, um, I'm originally from the state of Texas. So we thought that, uh, <laughs> Well, there's it one is, place. It is a compliment to get the and, definite um, article. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So we, we were thinking like, okay, is that where we're going to, are we going to go back to Texas? Um, the only place that we kind of thought about going back to would have been Austin. And uh, there were already several things happening there. And so we didn't want to jump into that. I thought maybe the Pacific Northwest and Emily really had a strong discernment in about two seconds that that was a big fat no. Ooh, Emily. <laughs> She's like, see, I don't know. Uh-uh. I don't think that's what God's doing. I'm like, yeah, okay. <laughs> How did you know? How did you know, Emily? Um, it was, I don't know. I mean, I know that sounds like for someone who's an academic, I just didn't think I had zero interest in that. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And I believe like in part, God sometimes yes. guides through yeah. our interests and inclinations. And I had zero interest in the Pacific. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, and, and also I'm an extrovert. She's an introvert. I want to be in the city. She wants to be, you know, have two hours alone time before anything happens in the world. Yes. And so, <laughs> so I my drive it was is probably so more like, let's, let's just be in the middle of everything. And she's like, time out. I just don't think that what's, that's what God's doing. Hmm. And so obviously with, with our relationship, which we can talk later on, um, I've just learned to listen to that because my natural inclination inclination is to go. And hers is really more attuned as like, wait a minute, let's think about this. Let's not make anything a rash decision. Mm. And so I just hear that and say, you know what? Uh, okay, awesome. I, I hear if we're not together in this, then we're not, we're just not doing it. It's just not how we function as a team. So we had family in, in the Denver metro area. Um, I ran this by Bishop Todd. He's like, Hey, great. We don't have a, we don't have a church there. Um, in the, in the 
particularly in the in the Denver area of the north west side that we were going to be where we were going to be. And so we had already gone with some family uh, every summer and Christmas. So we had already prayer walk. We'd spent time there and we knew that this was a community that we already began to care about. So we, um, at the same time, two other families that we had kind of said, Hey, we thinking about planning a church. And they said, Hey, we're already moving there. Um, so we're like, this is exactly what God is doing. Like yeah. these circumstances are coming together exactly like we thought that they would. Yeah. So we put our house on the market in Dayton, Ohio. We left and we moved to, to Denver. Um, we began doing all the things that every church planning book says to do. Um, and lots of other things came together that kind of seemed, this is what God is doing. Yeah. So with all this sort of momentum, you could say, and confirmation, relationships yes. and prayer walking, you're, you're running the church planning playbook, you hit the right. ground and it's up and to the right. And the church is now 2000 people. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> I, I am saying no to that. That's a big, that's a, that's a big, that's a hard stop. That is a hard stop. Right. So I think there's this assumption in, especially in sort of, I mean, I can only speak as an American, but like in, in my culture, there's an assumption that if, if it's going to be a success and if it's going to be good and right, it will look like this, right? It'll look like Amazon, mm-hmm. Apple, right? It, it won't look like, uh, Bing or whatever, <laughs> like it won't look right. like stamps.com. You know what I mean? It won't, it won't be the startup that loses money and fails. So, so it's clear that you guys both felt a confirmation. There was collateral around that confirmation. How long were you there? And, and what was the life of the church like from, Hey, we're here. Everything's great to now not being there anymore. Right. So we were there for three years. Um, we had original. Well, let me just correct. We were we were in the Denver area for four years. Mm-hmm. We started the church a year after we arrived. Yeah. So the church was was uh, a thing for three years. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Right. Sorry. No, no, that's fine. So um, we were there for uh, the church, had, you know, for for three years, and from that, all of the pieces of confirmation that kind of led us to this is what God is doing, began to slowly fade or drift or chip. So, for instance, um, our house in Dayton, we paid on for two years and it never sold. Ooh. So, um, we... Summer were, home, right? Summer home in Dayton? Everybody wants that. <laughs> no? No, no, no. This, is, this was a uh, result of the 2008 crash. Yeah. Dayton yeah. has not really recovered, the real estate market. Um, mm. We bought in 2008. Oh, yeah. Um, so yeah. I did too. I did too, by the way. So the neighborhood had depreciated so so much that we could not sell the house for what it, what we owed. Mm. We tried to sell it for less than what we owed, and it still wouldn't sell. <sighs> um, so eventually, we had to make a really painful decision to let it go back to the bank. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. So I mean, talk about failure. I mean, we are not programmed as American evangelicals to think that's okay. But after two years and some counsel from folks in the diocese. We can't. We could not continue with our life in Denver and keep paying on a house that was never going to sell in yeah. Dayton. So that's that was like a big thing. Like our house never sold. We've been praying for this for two years. It never sold, and now it's you know going back to the bank. Yeah. So every night um, and every morning at family devotion, we would pray about this, and um, 
it's heartbreaking to hear your your nine year old um, ask, "Hey, Dad, did our house sell yet?" Because we've been praying for this. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's devastating. Sure. We we lost seventy eight thousand dollars. Yeah. Yeah. Gone. Now counter that with, and I don't mean this in a in a negative way. I'm just kind of putting two things together. The decision to close the church was easy. Hmm. It's the ramifications of that that I've been crushed with. Hmm. So thinking about like that kind of falling apart, some key families in our church fell apart. Um, And by fell apart, we mean like their marriages just imploded. And it was the sort of longstanding problems that we were not aware of because we had longtime friends with them. They just surfaced. And then suddenly, boom. And so we lost, you know, 14 people when those families fell apart. Right. Um, And then, you know, other little things like we peaked musically out the gate. We had a great uh, worship leader. He was Mm. really talented musically. It was exactly what we wanted. I mean, it was, he was fit with us with the tone of the church, the kind of culture that we had. And then he went through some stuff that he had to step away. And suddenly we were like playing music on a Yui boom, you know, recorded <laughs> yeah. music. Yeah. Um, so, so several things happened. So, uh, so pitting those things together, not pitting, but, but kind of showing that at the same time, we have friends that we're connected to um, in, in our world, in the Anglican church. <clears throat> and someone posted recently, Hey, we're going to plant a church and our house is on the market. It sold in five days above market value. Mm. Isn't it great to see God at work? Oh yeah. So our, our, our inclination is, is so is God not at work in us because our house didn't sell and God is at work with you because it did sell. And that's not what they were saying. That's right. not, what, that's not right. what they were saying at all, but that's the question it raises. Right. right. <laughs> totally. Totally. For you guys <laughs> and your experience. If, if everything's failing, is God still yeah. working? So thinking mm-hmm. about in, in that in the church world, like we know tangibly that God was doing some great things amongst our seventeen people that we that we had. Mm-hmm. Period. We know yeah. that. At the same time, when when she got the job offer, we just, were in council with. Yeah, so I don't think our listeners know uh, about that. I don't think we've talked about that. that just that? W- oh, what job offer is that? Sorry. Okay, so um, Emily, well, I'll let you. So we'll just well. So the church is struggling, right? Yeah. But we were we were our family was in Denver, and I had a, a, a what we call secular job um, <laughs> that was supporting us. Mm-hmm. I didn't like it, but it was supporting us. And we were still committed to the church. Like right. We weren't interested in leaving. We weren't sure. trying to leave. Yeah. Like no, We right. knew we were struggling. We needed to find a way to regain momentum. We were talking about it like every day. Mm-hmm. But we were committed to continuing. We had kind of said, we're going to give this five years. Yeah. So you weren't well, looking for ways out. You were looking for ways we in. We were not yes. looking yes. for ways out. We yeah. were pushing in um, to this. Yeah. But at the same time, you know, so I have a PhD in theology. My training is is academic, even though I do feel called to serve the church. And I had always thought that I would get a job teaching someplace. Jobs right now are so few and far between that we had just agreed together, even after we started the church, I'm going to apply for jobs that I'm qualified for and see what happens. Like if you don't, I knew that for me and my sense of calling, if I didn't try, I didn't apply, I would feel like I was failing um, at my my calling. Hmm. So we just said, I'm going to continue to apply. 
And up to that point, it was always a no. I mean, I hadn't even got an interview <laughs> with anybody. Um, and this is with a book like I had I had been producing, I published, and I still couldn't even get an interview. So the the uh, there was an opening at Wheaton College, and I thought, well, this is I mean, it's Wheaton, like I have to apply. Sure. But I knew I was going to be, and I was like one of 150 <laughs> or something people who applied. So I knew it was a shot in the dark, but I went ahead and did it. Um, and then I just kept advancing through the stages of the interview process. So then we had to begin to talk about, okay, what are we going to do? Like if they actually offer me a job, um, the church was struggling, but we were not wanting to leave. Yeah. I mean, we, we were one of the blessings of what we did as hard as it was and is, is that we planted a church with some of our best friends. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm. truly best friends, like people we'll be friends with for the rest of our lives. Forever. Forever. And, and we were around family who could support us. You know, we were struggling. Um, so we had this great, these great relationships that were sustaining us, regardless of the fact that this church itself was struggling. So we were not looking to leave, but I was offered the job and suddenly we had to say, okay, is this an opportunity that we have to take regardless of the effect that we'll have on the church? So we talked to Bishop Todd laid it out, and he said, yeah, I think you have two options. One, they can call a new priest, or you can close. Talk to the church and see what, or if there's another option, like bring that to the table. Like, what do you, what do you think? So we had talked to, and when we say vestry, we mean all 17 of us, because we were all on the same team. Everybody, like, it was all everybody's of us. the vestry. Yeah. Everyone's the vestry. <laughs> Everyone's the church council. Everyone's the parish discernment team. And so we said, we, we took... Um, a few at a time and said, as we were leading up, Hey, this is an opportunity. Pray about this with us and help us discern. So we had given ourselves to our team. Sure. Um, and so in that process, we came back to the table and said, um, Hey, Emily got the job. What, what do you think? And it was unanimous. Everyone said at the table, Hey, we think, we think God is, is done with us at this time in this place for this season. And all 17 of them, including us, are actively participating in another church in the Denver metro area now. I mean, they, they're mm-hmm. still doing it. So the decision to close the church was was easy. And that was the easy like part. The actual choice. Yeah, Given so the, right. It, it seemed clear that it was yeah. the right thing to do. It seemed do. good yeah. to the Holy Spirit and to y'all. Absolutely. Yeah, so I want to highlight this, though, because I think this is really important. I think when, when leaders or pastors, because of the paradigms we inherit, we think that we... What it means to be a leader is I have to make decisions and then deliver those decisions to the peoples. Try to help them get on board and with get it. And onboard them somehow to yeah. this decision, right? So I've got to cook the dinner and then figure out how to get their mouths open and shove it in there. And, <laughs> and uh, like one of the axioms we have at Gravity is God cares about all of it more than we do. And one of the ways that works out is in ecclesiology, which means if the Spirit is moving, if God is speaking, He's speaking to me, yes, but to the church. Like, the Spirit's been given to the church. And so the way you discerned this was, listen with us, let's let's wait on the Lord, hmm. let's seek confirmation, right? And I, I kind of yeah. jokingly referenced Acts 15, but can you imagine, like, Paul's been doing this mission for the Gentiles, everybody's speaking in tongues and be, uh, becoming, you know, uh, <clears throat> better preachers than Joel Osteen, and, like, he's got all these evidences of the Holy Spirit, but he submits himself to the church. For right. con- for confirmation and affirmation that this is what God is doing, and I just think f- there's permission to empower 
your church to help you discern big things like should we close should we shut this sucker down or not right right and then when when you get buy in and when you get sort of like when people are empowered to make that decision the closing mm-hmm. is still hard but it's not a sucker punch right right <clears throat> yeah, yeah and and it helped just like for my own journey i mean again i had thought that pastoral ministry was closed to me and suddenly we're anglican and we actually let women like live out their calling do and stuff. so i had i had been serving the church and and preaching on a regular basis and teaching and um to have the church the members of the church say to me we think you should take this job because it, it coincides with your gifting we believe this is an opportunity you need to take was also really important because i'm not programmed as a woman coming out of the evangelical world in america to think that i can prioritize my career over Every, everything else and tell my husband to, to pick up and leave and wow. take our kids and move across the country so I can take a job. Like I've been programmed to think that that's selfish. And there's a part of me that still does. Yeah. Mm. That might be the, that might be the Proverbs 32 woman, but it's not the Proverbs 31 woman. You know what I'm saying? Right. So to have the church all confirm that this would, and, and Bishop Todd and other leaders, you know, this is an opportunity you need to take. Yeah. was really important too. Um, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. here, here's the aftermath. Yeah, that part was easy. Easy meaning like submitting to a team and and listening to the spirit and agreeing together and agreeing together. Like that that part was easy. Um, here's here's the hard part. So thinking about the closing of the church. Here's the hard part. Is that now? I regularly am wrestling in my mind about figuring it all out. Hmm. So what I mean is. If, if God didn't sell our house, is he not present in that? If, if, Was if, that a no and we missed it? Yeah. Did I misunderstand? So now I'm second guessing myself. Right. Did I not hear right? Did I not discern right? Did I not understand? Did we not pray hard enough? Did we not get the right counsel? Um, did we have the wrong team? All, all of those things, right? So, so going from there, here's the piece that I'm struggling with. I mentally believe the axiom that God is present and at work. But in my heart, I feel abandoned. Yeah. And I feel left out. I feel like God said, do this. And he was like, JK, did, you know, yeah. Yeah, right. in, in my mind, in my mind, I, I genuinely believe that God cares more about the church than I do. And at the same time, it quote unquote failed. And so I'm struggling with having these two things together of one, what does success look like and what does failure look like? So listen, I don't have a problem saying that I was a failed church pastor, right? Church planter, sorry. Um, I don't have that problem. What I don't want you to do is sugarcoat it. But hmm. failure is a great thing. Hmm. It can be a good thing. We can learn from it. So don't be like, oh, well, you, you gave it the old one too. No, hmm. I, I'm crushed by this. Like I walked away from the thing that I think that God has been doing for 10 years. Yeah. And so, so, so what does that mean? And Emily specifically said, Hey, let's make sure this isn't a counseling session. And I'm, I'm, I'm with you, you know, <laughs> but that's just where, that's just where I am. No, Ron, no. I, yeah, you're, you're, it's good. It's good. I got a B minus in pastoral counseling and seminary, my MDiv. Uh, so <laughs> if, as long as you're worse than a B minus, I can help you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you're totally fine. No, you're totally fine. And I really appreciate you sharing that. Yes. Um, 
as you're sharing this, like two stories from I'm gonna buy, I'm not gonna I don't mean this to be a Bible juke, but uh, two stories from yeah. Scripture. Well, I, I, you're a friend. I can Bible juke you. Uh, sure. Like I think about I think about John the Baptist's friends coming to Jesus and asking on John's behalf, "Hey, are you the Messiah, or is there another one?" And Jesus. Right. Jesus quotes from Isaiah, hey, tell them everything you see, right? Tell them all the stuff you're seeing, right? The lame are, the lame are walking, the blind are seeing, right? Uh, um, and he, But he leaves out the captives being free. Mm-hmm. And right. he says, blessed is the one who doesn't stumble over me. And, I'm think, and I also thought of like in John 21, when, when Jesus, after he recommissions Peter, gives him all this love, then he's like, and somebody's going to lead you where you don't want to go, and you're probably going to die an awful death. And Peter's like, what about John? Because... Uh, he he deserves an awful death too, and Jesus is like, and Jesus is like, you know what? What is it to you? Right. What is it to you? What happens to him? Mm-hmm. You follow me, and I just I think about these bargains we make with our faithfulness, mm-hmm. like these these sort of gambits that like we we want to control, how, like we want to control with our faithfulness and our obedience outcomes, so that we can secure, so we don't have to. Yeah, trust is fine. That got me into the kingdom, but now I want to control and manage outcomes so that I can live my best priesthood now. Right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Absolutely. And and I, I as I hear your story, Ron, I'm just convicted of my own life. Like, you know, Ben and I aren't co-pastoring an Anglican church in uh, a suburb of Fishers, uh, Indianapolis, uh, because we oh. because we I was going to say yes, we are. Oh, I see what you're saying. <laughs> I see where you're going because, with this. Because yeah. because uh, I mean, like, it's hard. It's really hard, and I, th- I think we're making like legitimate sacrifices and mm-hmm. doing things. We're playing the long game. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. Yeah. And uh, every day, I have to sort of like reckon with the fact that that doesn't secure or guarantee any outcome that I desire. Right. And mm-hmm. I hear you. I hear you naming that too, like mm-hmm. seventy-eight thousand dollars and a nine-year-old who wants to see God move, and you have to say as his dad or her dad, like, sorry, yeah. that's not how God's yeah. working. That's really hard. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I don't want, I don't want failure to be sugarcoated. Mm. And can I just say more about that? Please. I think what well, we talked about this a little bit yesterday, what he's, what he's saying and what we're saying is that <laughs> failure. So we're, there is a, a, a death we have to die, right? Like Christ, Christianity, the Christian life is about dying, mm-hmm. seeing the things that you dream of, dying, dying to your desires, dying to yourself every day. That's true. At the same time, there are manifestations of God's presence that we should look for and expect. That's right. When the spirit is at work, people get healed. People are, are uh, liberated. Um, you know, we see, we see lives transformed like that stuff should also be expected. Yes. So there's a tension here when we talk about the failure of a church on the one hand, Absolutely. We saw people being blessed. We saw people healed. We prayed for people and they had conditions improve. You know, um, there were works being done in individual lives that absolutely testified to God's presence. And we felt it like in an experiential way when we worshiped together, even as small as we were. We were, there were homeless people who came that we got to feed and minister to. I mean, there were children who were learning the story of God in, in a beautiful and profound way. All those things were good. And at the same time, what we had planned failed. It did not work. It did not grow. Um, we did not get the, what did you say it was? Um, uh, attendance, budget, 
you know, like all the things like right. attendance baptisms and cash, like by <laughs> yeah, all those is. measures, ABCs, right? Yeah. yeah, it didn't, it didn't grow the way we thought. So God was present <laughs> and at work, and yet it was not what we wanted, and it did not succeed the way that we thought it would. So it is like simultaneously a failure, mm. but it was also a, a place where God was present and active. Yes. Despite the failure or, yeah. or through the failure or something like that. Yeah. yeah. And that's what we're still working through. I'm, I'm pretty sure, like as Paul's writing to Timothy in Ephesus, he's not thinking, hopefully in a few years I'll get thrown into prison and never be able to visit him again. You know what right. I mean? Like, and I just think of like Paul, like Paul doesn't want to be under house arrest for the last 10 years of his life, but, but legitimately we probably wouldn't have most of the New Testament if he wasn't. Mm -hmm. right. So like in the crucible of, fa of quote failure, like there is bread for people. Mm -hmm. Like there's, there's mm -hmm. a baking of, of mm -hmm. what God wants to birth. Yes. And I guess I, what I hear from you guys is conceptually or abstractly, or that's good for Paul and John right? Maybe Joseph, maybe he needed to spend some time in a pit, some time in a prison. <laughs> but like, WTH, God, like what, like, what about, like, I don't know if we needed that. Mm -hmm. I wonder if you're able to reflect, like, do you have inklings or beginnings of blessedness that has been birthed through this suffering that you can either name for each other or name for yourself? I have hope. I, I really, really, really hope um, that I get to to pastor again in that way. Um, and realizing that there's no guarantee in that. Um, like, you know, you know I, I, I tried and it didn't work. And so now what does that mean that I'm going to be, you know, uh, I'm, I'm actually going tomorrow to start training at, a, at another job. Um, is that just what I'm, is that what, is that what life is in store for me? Yes. Um, I, I think the thing that I'm thinking about that we were, we were discussing is the wrestling with why can't we both win? Mm -hmm. mm. I, I gave up the thing right, the air quotes, I gave up the thing that I thought God was doing so that she could do the thing that, that she thought God was doing. Yeah. But that's not in Denver, it's in Wheaton. And so mm -hmm. I think that the hoping and the waiting that, that God will do what I think he's calling me to do. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm hoping for that. Yeah. But at, at the same time, you know, we have to be real that it, John still lost his head. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, at the end of the day, it's really not about me. Mm -hmm. Like if, if, if Jesus really cares about the church more than I do, yeah. then, then how do I, how do I, how, how, how am I going to be faithful to that? Well, I'm not going to walk away. Yeah. So I'm going to keep my eyes open and, yeah. Um, as you may see, I, I share my emotions. They're really, really fresh on my mm -hmm. sleeve. Mm -hmm. That's just how I am. Yeah. And mm -hmm. so I, I think for me, that's the piece, the, the only thing right now that I have to hold on to yeah. is that I really believe that, that Jesus loves me. I really believe that. Um, I really believe that he's called me to serve his church and to, and to, to serve and to, to love and care for people yeah. and call them into a deeper relationship with him. Mm. 
And I may have to do that at, you know, making coffee for somebody. Yeah. And will I be okay with that? Yeah. That's profound. Really, really helpful to hear. I'm struck, you know, as you were, Matt, you were sharing those stories earlier and Emily, the way that you described, um, yes, God was at work, but it didn't sort of the trajectory of this thing was in the opposite direction of what we thought. Um, Mm -hmm. The thought came to mind for me of just like that, you've described the life of Jesus. And I think there is a, there is a sense in which everybody wanted Jesus' life to go up and to the right, right? Let's, let's make him king. Like he's got, he's got bread for everybody. This is, this dude's incredible. Like may his kingdom increase. Um, And obviously God was at work through it all. But of course, Mm -hmm. you know, John the Baptist lost his head and Jesus was crucified, you know, on a cross. Um, so I'm just I'm just struck that I like I, I don't know if this is uh, cheesy or whatever to do, but I'm just struck by like in going through this process, you guys are participating in the the life of Christ. There's a participation. Well, that's, that's actually, like we were just talking about this last night. I mean, that's that's the thing that I feel like I'm I'm appreciating in a new way. Mm-hmm. Um, because you can talk theoretically about that. Yes. But then, you know, what I've been going through for the past few years while we've been planning this church is that I was coming to terms with the fact that I probably wasn't going to get an academic job and then I might be working a job I hate forever. Hmm. And so I was experiencing the death of that plan. Hmm. And, and then to, to walk through this too, like, is like, how, how much more can we pile on? Yeah, <laughs> like, can totally. We just, so let's just add some more. But so, you know, I was telling him, I've been reading uh, St. Teresa of Avalon preparing for a class I'm going to be teaching. And one of the things that I, I was telling him, she would say that we are blessed yeah. to have been given the privilege of experiencing this kind of suffering and failure. Hmm. She would say that we're blessed in this. And I'm not trying, it's not sugarcoating it. It no. sucks. Yeah. But by, by going through this, we're sharing in that we're ha- we're understanding a little bit of this and participating somewhat in the sufferings of Christ. Right. Yep. And 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 then can call others to recognize that that there is hope, there is faith, there is love, even in the midst of like you know walking through the valley of the shadow of death. Like yes. So that's what I'm learning, not learned, but learning. Yes. Yeah. Well, if it's any encouragement, um. Uh. We, meaning the church, we need a spirituality that's robust enough to handle all of life. Mm-hmm. And um, what what has seized the two of you is is what is common to church planners and, and Christians, um, whether it's uh, being single at 32 or being infertile or being in an adoption process for seven years and spending thousands of dollars and not getting adoption, or whether it's having a child die or walk away from the faith when they go to college, et cetera, right? We have all these stories of suffering, mass suffering, and America is sort of languishing in a distracted neuroses of not being able to face and reckon with reality, with the sadness and suffering of reality. And so we then use... We use sort of our spirituality as an opiate. You know, I'm going to escape into sort of this Jesus worship song, or I'm going to go on this retreat, and I'm going to like escape mm-hmm. into my head and just think a bunch of great thoughts. But I, I think that, like, honestly, like, I'm just deeply, deeply encouraged by your willingness to share this story with us, with our yes. listeners, and also um, the posture and orientation towards hope, right? Because sometimes that's all we can do 
is just keep our face towards hope yeah. and hope to hope. And so I, I appreciate you sharing this. Appreciate you being with us. Yes. If there's any any final any final thought you have to offer, anything as you haven't said, Ron, I know it's kind of a dangerous question to ask you. There's probably always <laughs> a few thoughts. No, the, yeah, the only thing that I wanted to to add was really to to reaffirm what you're saying. I mean, we were having we had a, a friend over for dinner um, who is wrestling with um, they are wrestling with their own sexual orientation, and we were talking and just having a, a place of non anxiousness in our on, at our couch and drinking coffee. And I was just kind of off the cuff saying like, yeah, I'm really wrestling with this that God didn't do what I thought He was going to do, and this person looked at me. And pointed from his head, from their head down, and was like, "Yeah, tell me about it." Yeah, and it like gripped me in such a profound way that like I am not the only one who has prayed and not received an answer yet. Mm-hmm. I am not the only one who is walking through the crucible. Mm-hmm. But but if if there is a hope in that, to be able to stand next to uh, a friend and say, "Yeah, I, I don't know." I have no idea what this means, but I love you. And let's, let's, let's walk. Let's just, yeah. let's see. Let's. And I think we're, we're becoming much more comfortable with not having the answers yeah, and not, not having to fix it and not having to tie it up in a bow and, and well, oh, I, we learned this lesson and this lesson. Oh, we can see now that we went through this in order for this to happen. No, sometimes <laughs> crappy things just happen. Yeah. And you never, ever get an explanation as to why. His mom died when she was 46 years old. Hmm. There is no good reason yeah. for that. Right. Like zero. Um, and I think trying to, to force something onto that and force some sort of message out of it um, just is an injustice to what people are going through. And anyway, I, I just, I'm, I'm becoming a lot more comfortable with not having answers and just sitting with people and saying, God is so much bigger and transcendent than, than we have ever even thought. And that's what's happening along the way, right? Is our, our view of God is also dying and having to be transformed. Yes. That God is not controlled by us, uh, does not answer to us, and yet is still good and loving and all, and you know, God is love period. Like mm-hmm. no, but after that, mm-hmm. yeah. um, like all of that is true. And yet I'm suffering at the same time. And I, I can be mad about it and confused and not understand and keep, and keep moving forward. Yep. Like yeah. this is, and so this is exactly where a seven wants to be, is to be forced <laughs> to sit in pain. <laughs> well, you're welcome. Uh, yeah. Uh, thank you. This is, thank you. This yeah. is, uh, Emily, Emily just got us to do this as a sort of a emotion. therapy thing for you. <laughs> no, of. this is great. No, I think what you're saying is you're learning that God is good all the time, and all the time God is good, and it's all for His glory, right? Uh, and and you're going to open a window because but, you shut a door. Listen, no, Matt. I mean, listen, Seriously, I, I know you said like, that as a joke, yeah. but that's actually true. Uh, I, God know, is I know. Good. I know. Yes. Like I think that's the problem is that it, they turn into platitudes that are meant, like you said, to be an opiate. Yes. It's meant to like cheer us up. I don't have to be cheerful about that. It's simply true that God is good. Yep. And I don't necessarily feel that. That's a good word. Emily. But it's true. so good. Yeah. And yeah. the goodness of God has to be the foundation for what, how I keep walking in my faith. If God isn't good, then just screw all this. Right. Right. Yeah. I don't want to do this anymore. That, but God is yeah. good. I, I may not be experiencing that right now, but, but yeah. God is good. And yeah. that's why we can keep going. Yeah. I mean, sometimes you fall out of a window 
because somebody preaches too long and you get raised from the dead. And sometimes all you want to do is go with Paul on a missionary journey to Miletus, but your mm-hmm. name's Trophimus and you get left. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, you're just like, sorry, you, you have Ebola. <laughs> you can't go. Uh, well, hey, Not safe. <laughs> McGowans, we love you. Uh, you know, you're only three Thanks. hours away from us now. Uh, where you are, which is a lot closer than the 18 hours you were away earlier. Mm-hmm. So in uh, my limited narcissistic perspective, this is really good for me. Um, uh, that's, think- what, that's what God was doing the whole time. No, 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 no. And we just really appreciate you sharing the story. I trust, I know it's been beneficial for me. I trust it'll be beneficial for our listeners too. So thanks for being here. Thanks, guys. Thank you very much. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Gravity Leadership Podcast. If you found it helpful, please let us know by leaving a rating and review on iTunes or wherever you review podcasts. You can also email us at podcast at gravityleadership.com to ask a question or suggest a topic for a future episode. And join our online community for free at gravityleadership.com slash join. You'll get our latest content delivered straight to your inbox as well as an email most Fridays with curated links to articles that we found interesting or helpful in our work as local pastors and practitioners of discipleship and mission. To join us, go to gravityleadership.com slash join. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member? For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.